0: we been walking through this story of the Bible, and we're almost done. It's uh, crazy to think. It seems like we started it 10 years ago. Um, but we've been 52 weeks, and we're now on week 50. Uh, we're going to talk about the life of Paul today. Uh, and, and as you'll see here, our, we map our timeline. Two weeks ago, uh, we, we had a new symbol, a new, uh, a new motion. So you put your hands on the other side of your mouth, and repeat after me. Church! 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 You didn't know I was going to do it twice. You put your hands down. You're silly. Um, we said we are the called out ones. Church, ecclesia, the Greek word, called out. And what are we called out to do? To be witnesses, to tell the world that Jesus is here and he's why everything that we just sang is true. And next week, a uh, very easy task of preaching through the entire book of Revelation. Uh, so that should be easy and without controversy. Um, and then the week after that, we're going to put a bow on it. We're going to summarize and say, man, what have we seen in this story? This this unified story, one story that leads to the person of Jesus. Every story in the Bible leads to Jesus. Let's talk about, from the beginning here, see if you can remember, our motions. You ready with me? we got God, creation, fall, promise, flood, tower, patriarchs, exodus, law, conquest, judges, kingdom, divided, exile, return, Silence, Jesus, church. There we go. You guys are trained. Um, if you could change one thing in your life, you can make one switch, okay? You got a genie comes to you and says, hey, not Genie not McNutt, a, a genie of the lamp. She, the, although a genie is pretty powerful, too. Uh, <laughs> this genie says, any wish, anything you want in your life, you could change. What, what would it be? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What change would you make in your life? And maybe for some of us, it has to do with our appearance, Okay, if a man, if I, if I weighed this amount, or if I looked like this, if I was this tall, or, 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 or this hair color. What it, maybe for us, it's man if I didn't live here, right? If I lived somewhere else, all this snow, are you kidding me? Austin, right, he's like, yeah. Uh, I want to go to Malibu, right? I want to go to Cancun. I want to live somewhere else. I want to put my feet in the sand and not get hypothermia, right? I want to live somewhere else. Maybe it's, maybe it's if I didn't have to worry about money. I've either got a raise at the current job I'm in, or I didn't have to work at all, right? Or, or what if we say, man, what if it was a change in a relationship? If, if my if my marriage was the way it was supposed to be, right? Or maybe if, if I had someone at all, right? And maybe for us, is go, man, if, if I had, you know, this is about your children. If I had different kids, mine are crazy. You can have mine, right? You look at what what change would you make in your life, and why, why would we want to make that change? Because when we think, man, if that change occurred, then that'd make me happy. That would make me satisfied. But man, if you remember our study when we walked through the book of Ecclesiastes, if there's anything we learned from the life of Solomon, what was it? He said, "Man, I went down every single one of those roads. I'm rich. I was richer than you'll ever be. I had more women than you'll ever have. I had more fame. I had more success. I built more buildings. And said, so when I went down each road, you know what I found?" To try to find happiness in that route? He said it was chasing the wind. Have you ever tried to chase the wind and grab it? You look like a fool. And he says, the reality is, you're going to be chasing the wind. It's always going to be one more pound that I need to lose, one more dollar that I need to gain. It'll never be enough. Never be enough. Because the reality is, our problem is deeper than how much money is in our wallet, by, by how much we weigh, by what we look like, by what our relationships look like. The problem is sin. And and because you and I are sinners, we can't have the kind of relationship with God that we were created to have. He's the only one, as we delight in Him and who He is, as we were created to do, He's where we're going to find joy. He's where we're going to find peace. He's where we're going to find happiness. But because of the sin in my life, I can't have that relationship with God as I am. And the reality is there's nothing we can do to change ourselves in order to have that relationship. The prophet Jeremiah, he was talking to Israel, and he said, can the Ethiopian change the color of of his skin? If he was born in Ethiopia, he's black, right? So this black guy cannot make himself not black. I know how that feels. I'm a white boy. I will always be a white boy. Okay, you watch me play basketball, try to jump. I can't even get to the bottom of the net, let alone the rim. I'm white. I have always been white. I will always be white. How about, can a leopard, he says, can a leopard take away its spots? And of course, it's a rhetorical question, to both of them No. So he looks at the people of Israel and he goes, in the same way, neither can you start doing good, for you have always done evil. You are sinners, and by nature, all you can do is sin. And there's nothing you can do to change that. In chapter 2, he says the same thing. He goes, no amount of soap or lye, which is another kind of cleansing agent, can make you clean. I still see the stain of your guilt. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. He says, no matter how many bubble baths you take, do not be deceived by that innocent little face as pure evil, right? (laughs) Don't let those rubber duckies fool you. He says, there's nothing you can do to clean yourself up and make yourself presentable before me. All the soap in the world, even if it's all natural, right? All the essential oils and... Don't get me started on that. <laughs> you can go paleo, you can go Neolithic, you can go Jurassic. It doesn't matter what diet you choose, right? Even what's the trim healthy mama, that's the new one, okay? But no matter what you do to clean up your outside appearance, physically, spiritually, he goes, you cannot find happiness. You cannot be acceptable to God on your own. And, and, and what we're going to see this morning is we want to have a transformed life. We want to have the kind of life that we were intended to live. It's only going to come through one means. And what we're going to see in the life of Paul is that the only means is going to come through is the person of Jesus. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to look at Paul's old life, when he was named Saul, what he looked like before he knew Jesus. And then we're going to see him meet Jesus, encounter the person of Jesus himself, and then we'll see what his life looks like afterward, the 180 that occurs Now, if you remember, two weeks ago, we talked about the birth of the church. This is why we do this motion, because the church is the called out ones. God is calling out a people for himself, one new bride, one family. And the cool thing is we saw there's this shift in the book of Acts. We're moving the Old Testament in the Gospels was talking primarily as an audience to the people of Israel. But now there's going to be a shift in the book of Acts where we're moving from the nation of Israel all by itself as an entity to the world. And God's calling out a people from every tongue and tribe and nation to become one new people in the name of Jesus. And what we saw was his disciples, he told them he ascended to heaven. He says, don't go anywhere, don't touch anything until the Holy Spirit comes down. And we looked at, at, at the day of Pentecost, 10 days later, this new covenant's established with the people. And he sends the Holy Spirit. Remember, we say he's the personal presence of Jesus, our own portable Jesus. He, he puts the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit into each and one of every single one of them. And what happens? They are completely transformed. These guys who were just big weenies beforehand, now with the Spirit of God living in them, they're these bold martyrs that go into the world and lay their lives down for the sake of the gospel. And then we saw that the, the whole scheme of Acts is, is, was found in Acts 1.8, where he said, you're going to be my witnesses. You've seen me. You've seen the risen Jesus. Now go tell everyone. And he goes, I want you to start. And we saw the outline of the book of Acts, the first seven chapters. You're going to start in Jerusalem. Then you're going to go to Judea and Samaria, the nation of Israel. And then the gospel is going to continue to spread. And you go to the ends of the earth. And we're going to look at the ends of the earth part today in the person of Paul. But remember, the Jewish people, especially the Jewish leaders, did not care for Jesus. They thought he was a liar, a blasphemer, a blasphemer, and so they killed him. And if they killed Jesus, how do you think they're going to treat his followers? You're going to give him suckers and participation ribbons? No. They're going to persecute them in the same way that they persecuted Jesus. In fact, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, one of the first deacons of the church, He gets stoned to death because of his witness to the person of Jesus. And as he's being stoned, who's standing there as a human coat rack, approving of the death? It's a man named Saul of Tarsus. This was his name before he became... We know him as Paul. And, and, and Saul's story is told in Acts chapter 9. And then he actually, he's standing on trial in Acts 22 and 26. And he recounts his own story, fills in some of the gaps we're missing from chapter 9. And so we're going to pull, as we talk about him today, from those three chapters as he tells his story. So he, the first thing he says on trial in Acts 22, he goes, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, in the city of Cilicia. So, so Tarsus was about 500 miles north of... Of Jerusalem. So he says, I was born there. I was born a Roman citizen, but my father was a Jew. And, and, and you'll see that why, that, why that's important if you read through his life. But then he says he actually travels down and, and, and is trained in Jerusalem. He says, I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was a, was a rock star Pharisee. Okay, he was like the most famous Pharisee at the time. It would have been like Paul being personally tutored by Billy Graham. Okay, who may or may not have actually been there at the time. I'm not sure. So he gets his own personal tutor, Gamaliel, like the, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Okay? So this guy is, is a stud. He is trained in the ways of the law unlike anybody else. He says, as a student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and traditions. I became very zealous to honor God. Okay? He has the right intentions to honor God in everything I did just like all of you today. So he's raised in this intense Pharisee boot camp, and he comes to know, like for example, these guys, one of the things they did is they memorized the Pentateuch, which is, you know what that is? It's the first five books of the Bible. He memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, there you go faster, and Deuteronomy. Now let's be real for a second. New Year's is coming around the corner, Right? And we're, oh, it's going to be time. We're going to read through the Bible in a year. We get the new cool apps. We're going to do it. And then Genesis, good stories. Exodus, good stories. Leviticus, what? And most of us can't even get through reading the first five books of the Bible. Paul has them memorized, okay? He is varsity level Judaism right here. And he says, I followed God with every fiber of my being. And it's important to understand that. But then look at where his zeal takes him. He says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. See, he didn't believe Jesus' claims, that he was the Messiah. He thought it was blasphemy. And so so he thought what he needed to do as as, as a true Jew and Pharisee was snuff out this, this Jesus movement. He says, indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities, which is where he's going when he meets Jesus. So This is Saul. By our definition, we'd put him as the bad guy, right? If this is Robin Hood, he's the sheriff of Nottingham, going from town to town, persecuting the Christians. But we have to understand, and he said this in 1 Timothy, Paul was absolutely convinced that he was doing the right thing, that this is part of God's will. He says, God had mercy on me because I acted in ignorance. Now, does that excuse Paul for his actions? Absolutely not. He knew the Old Testament. He saw the prophecies, but he didn't believe Jesus was who he claimed that he was. And so he worked against him. A lot of times in our lives, we think we're doing the right thing, but in hindsight, we see we're working against the very thing that God had for us. But everything changes for Paul on a trip to Damascus. Saul heads to Damascus, which is about a six-day journey north on foot. It's only 135 miles, so that's less than Anchorage. But they're not taking their pickup truck or calling an Uber. So 135 miles on foot, and this is the kind of terrain that he would have been walking through on the road to Damascus. And so as he's on his way up there, what is he doing? He, he, he has these letters from the high priest from Jerusalem. And when these letters are giving him permission to go to the synagogues and tell the leaders there in Damascus, hey, I've been given permission to round up these Christians that have fled Jerusalem because we were persecuting them in the first place, and drag them back to Jerusalem and put them on display to be humiliated, imprisoned, and possibly even killed because they're following Jesus. And it's as he's on his way to Damascus to persecute these followers that he has an encounter with their leader. Look at his own account in in, uh, Acts 26. Paul's talking to King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, and he says this, One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commissioning, uh, commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, talking to Agrippa, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down. Now, some of the stories, the pictures, have him, like, falling off a horse. We never see a horse in this picture. I think that was just to make it more dramatic. I don't know. The Solid Rock kids got to the story. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. And he he replies, who who are you, Lord? Which is kind of a general term for, you know, an authority. Who is speaking to me from, from the sky here? And the Lord replied, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Awkward. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles, because we'll see what's going to happen here. He says, yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. To do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so King Agrippa, he's telling the story, I obeyed that vision from heaven. Jesus told him what to do and he did it. And I preached first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and then throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles. Does so it sound familiar? That's Acts one That all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed their lives by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. Do you see what happens here? Do you see the transformation that happens in the life of Saul, and then he'll be called Paul as he's sent to the Gentiles? He goes from imprisoning and killing these Christians to becoming a follower of Jesus himself and being imprisoned, and we'll see he's eventually killed for the same message that he was attempting to extinguish. This is incredible. And what was the change in Paul's life? What what was the turning point that caused him to pull a 180? It was an encounter with the person of Jesus. And listen, the only meaning in your life, the only satisfaction you're going to find in your life, the only purpose you're going to find in your life, all revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. It's not going to be how much money you have. It's not going to be how much you weigh or don't weigh. It's not going to be where you live. It's not going to be what job you have. It's not going to be which iPhone version you have. The X is out. We're going Roman numeral, baby. It's exciting, but it will not make you happy. Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. And when he has an encounter with Jesus, he will never, ever, ever be the same. Paul is a new creation. In fact, there's three new things that I want to look at that change in Paul's life so drastically. First of all, he has new access to the Father. And then he has a new family that we'll see. And then finally, a new focus, all right? Alliteration, all lined up. Good job, Pastor. Next one, first one, new access to the Father. So there's this guy named Ananias in Acts 9 that's sent to Paul to talk to him, to heal him. He's going to be blind, to, um, to, to anoint him with the Holy Spirit. And when he shows up to meet Paul, look at what happens. The Lord said, he's talking to Ananias, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man named Tarsus, from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. Don't overlook that detail. What's Saul doing? He's praying to God. We need to understand Paul was blinded when he saw that light and for three days he was he was blind and and it says that he was he was praying and and fasting. Now the fasting for the Jews was a period of mourning and, and repentance. Now imagine what those three days look like for Paul. He sits there with his God With Jesus, the person that he has done everything in his power to try to persecute. There's going to be some repentance. There's going to be some mourning. There's going to be some change of heart. But what does God do? Does he give him a three-day spanking? Right? This This one's for Stephen. This one's for the other guy you killed. This one's for... No, what does he do? For three days, he tenderly listens to Paul and he speaks to Paul. There's prayer. There's communion. He says, Saul, that Jesus that you were persecuting, that Jesus was persecuted for you. He died for you so that you could enter into my presence and call me father. It's amazing. You see, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament believers, they couldn't just march into God's presence. They couldn't just crawl into his lap and call him daddy. We, we've looked in our story. The Old Testament system was all through the temple. That's where God's presence symbolically rested. And, and in order to approach God, you had to sacrifice animals for every sin, looking forward to that sacrifice that was coming. And you couldn't even personally go in. There were priests who would go in on your behalf. You remember when the person, when Moses, when he goes up the mountain and he sees God, he comes back down. What does he have to do? He has to put a veil over his face because he go. you can't even look at someone who has met with God. There was a separation because of sin between sinful man and a holy God. And what Jesus is saying here is, I have come and I have changed everything. Romans 8 says, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. No, for believers, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. We are the children of God. Do we believe that this morning? And he says, Now we call him Abba, Father. Now, that word, it doesn't register to us, but the, but the Greek word there was this tender, intimate term. Our translation would be daddy. And Jesus says, what I've done is I came and I ripped that veil open and I've allowed access through my blood in my name that we can boldly approach the throne of God and call him daddy. And no one taught Paul to do this. This was a natural response for his new birth, Paul's been born again. He's given a new life, a new spirit in him. And I was thinking about this in terms of of, of of our of our human existence. And our intern Robbie uh, had their Robbie and Kara had their baby last week. Talked about that. Robert the i I've been pushing for Throby, uh, and that just hasn't caught on. I guess they didn't like that. They get to name him because they're the parents. So they Robert Lewis Smithwick. So we're going with Lewis to try to avoid more Robbie confusion. So Lewis. Listen, no one had to teach Lewis how to breathe, right? He came into this world. It's not like Robbie and, and Carol were like, hey, we got this. We went through Lamaze, right? If I don't know if that's still a thing. And, Come on, Bubby, you can do it. Use your lungs. You know, they didn't have to teach him how to breathe. He came into this world knowing how to breathe. Now, there's a lot that that kid needs to learn. Played him in chess, I crushed him, right? A lot this kid needs to learn. But he does not need to know how to breathe. He's been given breath And it's as natural as anything in the world to breathe. And for us, when we're born again, this new spirit, the spirit of God, gets placed into us. And as natural as it is to breathe, is for us to cry out, Daddy. In fact, the Greek word and the Hebrew word for spirit is the same thing as breath. So when his, his spirit gets placed into us, not that we don't learn how to pray, but there is something inside of us in our new nature that just cries out to him as our new heavenly daddy, which is why in Philippians 3, Paul says, man, everything that I was, I was, a, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a true person of God's covenant. I was a, from the tribe of Benjamin, which was like the most awesome tribe. I was a Pharisee. I was all these things, because all these things that I used to boast about, all these things I used to trust in, He goes, compared with knowing the person of Jesus, they're nothing. Look at Philippians 3.8. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, better translated manure or dung, or probably a more vulgar term for that. He says, so that I could gain Christ because Paul knew that only in Jesus could he have access to the Father. None of those other things about him meant anything. They couldn't win him the relationship with God that he could delight in God and be satisfied in who God is only through the person of Jesus. He goes, I may have been blind. I may have been blind, but I have seen the light of the world. And He's all I need. We have a new daddy. Secondly, we got a new family. I love this. When Ananias is sent it's to, to, to Saul... God goes, uh, I want you to go talk to this guy. And he goes, ah, uh, time out. <laughs> but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Now, just, just, just clarifying. This guy that's killing and imprisoning Christians, you want me to go have a, a prayer time with him? You want me to heal him so that he can see me, who I am, know exactly who I am, you, 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 that just, I just make, I didn't know if I had wax in my ears. I just want to make sure I heard you clearly. And God goes, no, man, this is a new man. This is not Saul of Tarsus any longer. He's family now. And look what happens when Ananias goes and talks to him. I love this. Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, the very man who had been persecuting and advocating for the killing of Christians is now A brother. The very people that were running from Paul now run to him and hear the good news. And he lives alongside. His relationship completely changes with the family of God. They now become his co-workers. And instead of killing them, he lays his life down for them and for future brothers and sisters in Jesus. It's incredible. In Ephesians 2, it says, So now you Gentiles, which means non-Jews, you Gentiles who are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people, you are members of God's family. We've been given a new family. And, and, and he says in Ephesians 1, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It pleased God to make us one. A new family. Albeit dysfunctional, we are a family. God is our daddy. Jesus is our oldest brother. And we in this room who are followers of Jesus, we're brothers and sisters. Called to love each other like a family, because we are a family. Brothers and sisters and crazy uncles like Blair. Right? I I think he's the tall one there in the middle with the white shirt. I think that's I think that's Blair. A new family, a new father, and finally a new focus. God's given him a new job. He's no longer persecuting the church. <laughs> He's laying his life down as a witness for the growth of the church. Look what he says in Acts 26. Tell people what you have seen, that you have seen me, and tell them what I will show you in the future. He says, yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to go tell the Gentiles that you're added into the family. There's this new body of believers that he's creating, the family of God, the church. And remember, this was God's plan all along. You go back to Genesis 12, when this all started with the nation of Israel, Who's is the father, Father Abraham. And the first promise, he says to him, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna make you this great nation. And then in, in verse three, he says, all families on earth will be blessed through you. So through this tiny nation of Israel, he says, I'm gonna bless every nation on the face of the earth. And how does he do this? Jesus was born of the nation of Israel. And through the finished work of Jesus, now available not just for Israel, but for every tongue, tribe, and nation, is access to daddy. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. And Paul later, he's, he's writing a letter to a church in Galatia. He talks about this calling. He says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And it pleased him to reveal his son to me, saw him on that road to Damascus. Why? So that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Says I've seen Jesus and now my whole job, my entire life's purpose is to tell everybody about this Jesus that I know. And that's what Paul gives his life for. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have those... um, those old school Bibles that have the actual pages in them anymore? Do they still make those? I don't know. But in the back of them, they have maps that kind of look like this. And um, Paul, the rest of Acts is Paul. He goes on these three missionary journeys to go tell, about, tell people about Jesus who have never heard before, to go to these new cities in the Roman Empire and, and to lay down this foundation of the gospel. And then eventually he's, t- he's taken to Rome. And that's what you'll see on that map. And, and as he goes, not only is he telling people about Jesus face to face, but he's also writing these letters. And, and I've got all this on the PowerPoint, and this will be on the website tomorrow, so I know we're going fast here. But he writes these letters. This, this map, it's, it's kind of funky uh, graphics, but basically it shows where he wrote each one of those letters, where he was. And then over in the right there, it shows the order which those letters were written. That's the rest of our New Testament, is these letters that were written to these churches by Paul and then also by John and James and Jude and, and Peter. So These letters written to these churches to, to, to tell them, to underline what's the truth of the gospel. And after 30 years of traveling, preaching, and writing, proclaiming the good news, making disciples, Paul's arrested, he's taken to Rome. And just like the Lord that he's now following, he's killed for the message that he preached. But even that was part of God's strategic plan to take the gospel to Rome. He had told Paul, you're going to go to Rome. It's going to be in chains, but you're going to go to Rome. Just like New York City or a hub. It was the hub of the greatest empire the world had ever known. I need the gospel to get to Rome because then it's going to spread like wildfire. And it does through the persecution of the church, but it does. And in the last chapter of what's probably the last book he wrote, right before he's going to be executed in Rome, these are the words that Paul says. He's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, his disciple. He's been following him for years. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. It's about over. I've given my entire life to this cause that I used to try to stop. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits for me. He's not freaked out. He's like, I'm about to die. Uh, He says, what does he say? The prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me. This isn't just laid out for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. I want these words to be the words that I utter joyously and honestly on my deathbed. I have given my life for the cause of the gospel. And I have fought the good fight. It's the story of, of Paul. story of a transformed life. What happens when we encounter the person of Jesus this is his testimony. Now, I want to chat just for a minute here. Because everyone's story is different in this room. But listen to me. No story is less miraculous and wonderful than the other. See, it's easy to think like, man, I don't got a cool story, right? Like, I'm six years old in the back of my parents' station wagon as my mom is making a deposit at the bank. And I'm like, I want to right like not a road to Damascus experience right like not one of those cool like I wish we hear some of those awesome testimonies and I'm like I want that like I wish I had been a six year old with a past right Like, I wish that I was a part of some tricycle gang, hawking drugs, smuggling them in Pez dispensers on the corner of my preschool, right? And then I meet Jesus and everything changes. I want a cool story like that. I'm overdosed, I'm on my hospital bed, and the light shines down, and I meet Jesus, and then I give my life, I go to India, right? Like, we want those kind of stories, right? And then you ask somebody who's actually walked that kind of a road, and they go, no, you don't. No, you don't. But but here's the reality. The the real miracle is that you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus, the the real testimony is that you have been raised from the dead. That, That you were dead in your sins, lost and hopeless, and now you've been found and you are known by your daddy and have been given a new life and can live with him forever and ever. That's a testimony, and that's for every believer in Jesus. And listen, those in this room that have come here this morning and maybe, maybe you're feeling the weight of a shame and guilt. That you've done something in your past or, or, or you still are doing something right now. And you go, There's no way that this is for me. There's no way I've done too much. Paul has a word for you. And in 1 Timothy, he says this. This is a trustworthy saying. You can believe me. Everyone should accept that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. He goes, listen, whatever you've done, whatever sin you've committed, please, right? Junior varsity sin. He says, I was persecuting and killing Christians. You have not done something worse than me. Any Jewish terrorists in the building this morning? I always check. (laughs) And what he goes on to say in verse 16, he says, God, but God, but... But God had mercy on me. Why? So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Why? Then others, others who think that I'm too bad, I've done too much, I've moved too far away from the love of God, others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. So he goes, God did not meet me, the Christian killer, With a club or a stick to get my comeuppance, he came to me like a father comes to his prodigal son. Threw his arms around me, said, Call me daddy. Ask the love of God. And man, 1 Corinthians 6 says, I don't, whatever you've done, maybe you're in this room this morning and you've done something terrible, you've committed adultery. Maybe you've been addicted to pornography longer than anybody knows. Maybe, maybe you, you've, you have a past of, of drunkenness, abuse, cheating, stealing, arrogance. I don't know what your story is. But what Paul says is, he goes, man, those who do these things cannot get into the kingdom of God. You're disqualified from being in God's presence because he's perfect and you're not. But then he says, but some of you, you were once like that. You were once that. that. That was you. That was your identity. But, he says, but now, but now, if you, you were cleansed. You, you were made holy. You were made right with God. How? By cleaning yourself up? By scrubbing a little bit harder? By promising God, I won't do it again? No, he says, how? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And if we place our faith And what Jesus has done for us, no matter what we've done in our past, we're given a new access to Father. We can call him Daddy. We're a part of the new family, brothers and sisters. And we have been given a new job to go make disciples. That's a testimony. What changed? In Paul's life, he said in Philippians 4, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret of what it means to be content. 24-7, 365, I've found it. No matter what I have or don't have, I can be content. And when he looked at that change in his life, what was it? It wasn't how much he weighed. It wasn't how much money he had. It wasn't the relationships that he had. In fact, by human standards, his life gets much worse. He's imprisoned. He's tortured. He's beaten. He's shipwrecked. He has no children to, to, to continue his legacy. He's never married. He says none of that matters because I've found Jesus. I don't need any of that. I've found the person of Jesus. He's all I need, and he is the power of your testimony. Let's pray. Father God, we're all over the place in this room. Some of us have been coming to church our whole lives. We've attended Sunday school. We've, we've taught Sunday school. But maybe we've never encountered the person of Jesus. Maybe we've never given our lives over to him or maybe we're in a season where we're just not walking with that Jesus and we've drifted, drifted away and we're doing things on our own strength. Or maybe there's someone in this room today that it's a very casual relationship with Jesus. Attend church when it's convenient. Kind of wear it as a badge for when it's, when it's helpful. But it's never surrendered, never bowed the knee. Maybe there's someone in this morning that just thinks they've outsinned the grace of God. They've done too much. They've gone too far. Lord, wherever we are in this room, we come together, and every question, every problem, every sin has been met in the person of Jesus. May we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and faith to believe that Jesus is the answer. That those that need to, to, to bow the knee to him as Lord As Master, He calls the shots, He tells us what to do, that they would do so. That those who need to trust Him and cry out to Him as Savior, that they would do so. Lord, we need Jesus. He's the only one. No other change in our lives will satisfy us. May we discard it and see all of it, the rest of it is garbage, compared to the priceless value of knowing Him as our Lord. It's in His beautiful name that we pray. Amen.